This audio production was made in collaboration with Audible Anarchist. Civilization retreats. Wildness persists. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on this pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Ozymandias, Percy Bysshe Shelley, 1817 Empires spread deserts which they cannot survive. Read it in the ruins of Ur and Muas, the desertified fields of Wadi Fainan, the Tetuakan Valley. Empires spread deserts which they cannot survive. Raids, insurrections, and desertion often mark the fall of civilizations, but the real groundwork for their destruction has always been done by their own leaders, workers, and zeks. We are all working toward the destruction of our civilizations. Quote, Civilized man has marched across the face of the earth and left a desert in his footprints. End quote. The extent to which global heating will cause the expansion of hot deserts is unknown, but that they will do so, and drastically, is a pretty safe bet. The interaction of soil, climate, and civil power will continue to be a dominant factor determining both history and the opening up of territory for freer lives. That agricultural systems will fail as the arid world spread means that, once again, civilizations will have to retreat from much of their previously conquered lands. In some places this will be total, in others a matter of degree. In my mother tongue, deserts are uninhabitable, abandoned, deserted. But by whom? Not by the coyotes or the cactus wrens. Not by the harvester ants or the rattlesnakes. Not by the Namib quicksteps, the meerkats, the acacias, the tars, the sand grouse, and the red kangaroos. Deserts and arid environments generally are often biologically diverse, though by their nature the life is sparser than in other biomes. While some desert areas are lifeless, in most communities of animals, birds, insects, bacteria, and plants run, fly, crawl, spread, and grow in lives unordered, undomesticated by civilization. Wildness is in us and all around us. The battle to contain and control it is a constant labor of civilization. When that battle is lost and the fields are deserted, wildness persists. Quote, Behind the dust, meanwhile, under the vulture-haunted sky, the desert waits. Mesas, butte, canyon, reef, sink, escarpment, pinnacle, maze, dry lake, sand dune, and barren mountain. End quote. Nomadic freedoms and the collapse of agriculture. I remember sitting crouched in the red under the hot sun. The wind low. The silence of the desert was absolute or it would have been if it wasn't, of course, for all the gossiping. There are people here. Not all deserts are unlivable. But for states, a surplus is barely possible. 
The sparseness of life favors nomadism, whether by herders, foragers, travelers, or traders. Quote, no one can live this life and emerge unchanged. They will carry, however faint, the imprint of the desert, the brand which marks the nomad. End quote. While the concentration of power can arise in any society with some level of domestication, overall, the more nomadic a people, the more independent they are likely to be. Governments know this, as can be witnessed by the widespread attempts to settle their desert nomad problems. Whether it is the obstinate survival of Aboriginal lifeways in Australia, the uncompromising resistance of the Apache led by Victorio, or the recent Tuareg insurrection in the Sahara, nomads are often adept at fight and or flight. Helene Claudette Hawad says in a discussion of Tuareg conflict with modern states that, quote, state boundaries have by definition a fixed, immovable, and intangible line, and are purposefully made not to be transgressed. They separate what are meant to be mutually opposing entities, end quote. That the resistant independence of nomads is often mixed with a practical disbelief in borders makes them threatening to the very ideological basis of governments. Global heating will stimulate transformations in human land uses. As noted in the previous chapter, in some places, peasant self-sufficiency will likely replace export-oriented monoculture, while in others, withered crops may be replaced by animal husbandry. In the expanding arid zones, a good proportion of those who successfully adapt may do so by embracing nomadic freedoms and transhuman pastoral subsistence. And others still, nomadic pastoralists and agriculturalists may revert to hunter-gathering. For most of our species' existence, all were foragers, and wilderness was our home. Hunter-gatherer societies include the most egalitarian on Earth, and where such cultures have survived to modern times, they have done so in areas remote from centralized power, and often unsuitable for agriculture. For example, the Spinifex people of the Great Victoria Desert have been able to continue their traditional lives despite the advent of Australia, as their homelands are so barren that it is not even suitable for pastoralism. The Kung, too, managed to live well and free as gather-hunterers in a very harsh environment, the Kalahari. When agriculturalists face extreme food stress or external violence, foraging is an adaptive strategy that has been turned to many times. For some, this may be temporary, for others, permanent. Thus, with spreading desertification, we could see, in some places, a spreading desertion from civilization to something resembling our original anarchist wildlife. Whole new brands of foragers may evolve following collapses of agricultural viability and the retraction of exuberant, energy-rich state powers. Given the present condition of many arid zone pastoralists and foragers, it is more likely that in most cases we will see a hybridity, an increase in autonomous nomadic populations relying both on animal herding and foraging. Sand grouse and creosote. On a more general level, many of those with a longing for wildness and a need for freedom from authority have gravitated towards the frontiers often hot deserts and semi-arid regions. Quote, As I wander out in the gentle spring, I hear a keen call of your roads, O desert. I shall leave my home in the dreary hills. How sad are other lands compared to you, O desert. Seti, a 19th century Turkmen poet. Such possibilities are present, and will be more so, in many regions. Even for those within the walls of the supposed global powers, there will be an expanding outside, 
In the already water-stressed areas of southern Europe, deserted farms and villages have been re-inhabited by anarchists, hippies, cults, and others wishing to flee the direct gaze of authority and desert the prison of wage labor. Similar dropout situations are present in the drying heart of Australia and the western deserts of North America. Here, importantly, Aboriginal communities persist or are re-establishing the long indigenous strategy of survival, quote, we were here before and will be after, end quote, may bear desert fruit. As numerous contemporary struggles illustrate, anarchists and native people can make good allies. Some of the oldest communities live in deserts. In the Mojave is a Creosote bush clonal colony that slowly widening circle is estimated at 11,700 years old. Recent genetic testing has indicated that the Bushmen of the Kalahari are probably the oldest continuous population of humans on Earth. These communities, both plant and human, are inspiring examples of resilience. But having survived millennia in the hot deserts, they may not survive the still-spreading cultural one. The ancient Creosote bushring is quite low to the ground and grows on U.S. Bureau of Land Management land, quote, designated for recreational all-terrain vehicle use, end quote. The Botswana government has forcefully relocated many Kalahari Bushmen from their homelands into squalid resettlement camps, seemingly to enable diamond mining. For free peoples and wildlife, the harshness of our cultural desert is most threatening of environments. Overall, then, as the planet heats up, we should remember the nomadic freedoms of the herders and foragers, the refugia of Aboriginal peoples and the renegade dropouts, the widening habitats of desert flora and fauna. That arid zones will expand brings positive possibilities, as well as sadness for the diminished, often previously vibrant ecosystems. There can still be a beautiful flowering in the desert. I have mentioned the possibilities opened up by the spread of hot deserts, but of course there are many closures too. Even some relatively anarchic cultures on or beyond the desert frontiers will become unviable. Species will become extinct. While there will be survivors in the expanding desert lands, many will choose to flee the heat. Some of these migrations, to some extent already happening, will be international, but many will be international. Quote, in the hot, arid world, survivors gather for the journey to the Arctic centers of civilization. I see them in the desert as the dawn breaks and the sun throws its piercing gaze across the horizon at the camp. The cool, fresh night air lingers for a while and then, like smoke, dissipates as the heat takes charge. End quote. These are some of the last words in Lovelock's Revenge of Gaia. As civilization and much of humanity flees or dies as the hot deserts expand, what of the cold deserts? What of the new, quote, Arctic centers of civilization? This has been a production of Audible Anarchist. You can find more Audible Anarchist on YouTube.